At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to His followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as He marks out the way of discipleship for us. Well, my name is Evan. Uh, I am the, the family pastor here. Obviously, Jeff is not here today, um, so you get the second string person, right? <laughs> uh, but Jeff is not here today, but I am so excited to be able to share God's word with you this morning. And actually, as we close out our, uh, our series, um, our, fo- our Followers Trail Guide series. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. And as you're turning there, I want you to think of this question. Do I have everything I need? Do I have everything I need? Now, there's different variations of of what this could mean. I know for me, I always do the the pocket check whenever I leave my house, right? Phone, keys, wallet. Anyone else do that? You know, those things, that check. But also that question comes in when you go and you're starting to pack for a trip, right? You go through the checklist of the things that you need uh, in order to have a, uh, a smooth sailing road trip. And I know for me, like specifically, is that question, the answer to that question is, do I have everything I need, has changed throughout the years. Right? So when I was in college, when I was younger in high school, college, I could probably fit everything I needed for a trip in a duffel bag because all I really needed was a pair of clothes, uh, toothbrush, toothpaste, some, some just, just needed that and I'd be fine. You know? if, I, if I got into trouble, I'd just wear the jeans again, something like that. But it would all fit in a small duffel bag. But then when I got older and as I was living uh, I was living in Kentucky at the time, going to college, and any time that I would come home to Michigan, it seemed like I always needed more, right? Especially in Michigan, because you never know what the weather's going to be like. It constantly changes every hour, right? So I would, I would think, okay, I'm going home for Thanksgiving in November. What do I need? Well, I probably need a coat, probably need jeans, probably need sweatpants, long socks, Maybe a pair of shorts, because you never know, uh, right? So it, it, the list becomes on and on, and the, the things that we need grow. But then you get married and have a kid, and it seems that aspect of everything you need quadruples, right? So as you need, as you go on a trip, you need clothes for everybody. Even for a little kid, you need backup clothes, <laughs> Uh, you need diapers, wipes, toys, uh, those essential things. Basically, you're packing a, uh, a mobile nursery with you when you have a kid and you go on a trip, right? And so what seems to be as you pack all those things up in your car, it seems as you look at it, you're like, okay, this is good. It looks like you're going for a week, but in reality, you're only going somewhere overnight, Right? So that question of do I have everything I need changes as it refers to what's going on in your life. But I think this question is a lot deeper that we need to ask. Specifically, 
when it comes to our own spiritual lives, when it comes to our faith. Question is, do I have everything I need to follow Jesus in this world? Do I have everything I need to live a life that flourishes and that overcomes in this world? Now, sometimes that's an easy question to answer, but the problem is, I think many of us don't really believe the answer we give. For instance, we may say that we believe that Jesus can get us to heaven, but we live a life full where we look to other things to give us a full and meaningful life here on earth. We're focused on, the, on living a good life here without even thought of heaven. We pursue the finest things in the world, the biggest houses, the greatest cars, the newest devices. We say we believe that the kingdom of God is coming. We say that we believe the kingdom of God is coming, but we put our hopes in the wrong things. We put our hopes in the government. We put our hopes in politicians. We put our hopes in the world and those things that are very kingdom of man, the things that in this world we put our hope in and we think that that is going to bring us joy but yet we forget that God is the ruler of all things. We believe that God is love but we fabricate our lives in order to make, our seems, make ourselves perfect or seem perfect on our social media. We use filters, we, we get the right lighting, we, we pose the specific ways to make us feel loved and worthy and respected when we, in reality we know that God already loves us. See, there's so many areas that every day where we can functionally, where functionally we don't believe that Jesus is our everything, we functionally don't believe that he has supplied us everything we need for life and godliness. But in our minds, we say that we believe. In our minds, we say we believe that God has given us everything we need. We practically deny the truth by how we live. See, Jesus is, is, as he's going through this discourse, as we've been looking at, as Jesus is talking to the, the disciples, what he's saying is we just, he just doesn't want us to intellectually believe we have everything we need, but he wants us to believe the truth and believe in our lives, that our lives reflect that truth, that in every area of our life, we believe that he is everything that we need. So as we, as we conclude this feral discourse, if we look at what Jesus is about to say, that as he concludes this discussion with his disciples, we're going to see how Jesus equips those disciples and us today to walk our lives, walk in the way where we have courage and that we can believe that we have everything that we need. And we're going to see that Jesus' victory provides us with everything we need to follow him. 
Jesus' victory provides us everything we need to follow him. So as we listen to Jesus' final words uh, with the disciples, with when he's talking with disciples, we're going to discover these three resources that he gives them. These three resources that are, that are given to the disciples because of his victory, because of Jesus' victory over sin and death. And these three resources are what's going to help us to flourish and overcome the world. So the first one we see is access. He gives us access. Starting in verse 25, it says this. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In the day you will ask in my name, I do not say to you I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. And have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father, and he came into the world. And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. So we see that one of the main points of this entire discourse was to be able to reassure and give the disciples confidence in Jesus. We see that Jesus is trying to have to give them confidence to know what life is going to be like. He even says in chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I can just imagine as a disciple who, who was walking with Jesus for, my, for three years of my life. I was following Jesus from town to town, seeing all the miracles that he did, seeing how he interacted with people, the things that he says, and then all of a sudden he starts talking about how he's leaving. And you can imagine the wheels are spinning in the disciples' mind, be like, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean that you're leaving? Like, are you leaving, like, to go up to pray like you do? Or, like, are you leaving, leaving? Like, leaving for good. And you can imagine the, the worry and the anxiety that the disciples are feeling because they're placing their faith and trust in this Messiah, this Jesus, where they thought that he was going to overcome the world right then and there, that he was going to free the Israelite people from the Roman oversight. So you can imagine disciples are feeling this, this worry, this anxiety, this stress over this aspect that Jesus was departing him, you could probably think of the questions that they maybe thought. It's like, what do we do? How would they know how to live? How would they know what to do? What would they say to others when Jesus departs? And this is why Jesus speaks about this idea of access. That Jesus is providing access to God the Father. He is providing them a way for them to have community with God the Father, that they no longer need to go through Jesus, but that they can talk with him. And he says this, and, he, and I love the opening of this. He's like, he kind of gives them this picture of like, I know that I've talked in a lot of uh, a lot of uh, figures of speech, and it might have not been super clear, but know that there will be a time when I'm going to be clear with you, and this is the time. He's going to have everything. It's going to be made plain to them. 
As Jesus speaks, he encourages the disciples that there's going to be a time when they will finally get it. A time is coming when their perception and understanding of who Jesus really is and what his purpose was on earth would no longer be under a fog, would no longer be hidden, but that it would be made plain. Because ultimately, Jesus' main purpose, Jesus' main mission was to give access to God. His main purpose was for people to be able to commune with God again because ever since the fall of humanity, ever since Adam and Eve sinned, that there was a relationship that was broken, that God no longer was able to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. They were no longer able to have a perfect relationship together because God is holy and we are not. So our access was needing somebody to be the go-between. They needed a mediator. And we see this progression in the Old Testament about how the Israelite people were able to talk with God, but they needed somebody. They needed, whether it be a, a, a high priest or needed somebody like Moses or an Abraham to be the one that's talking with God. We see that the high priest was that person who was the only one that could talk with God that they were the one they were talking about, that they were the one that was sacrificing for their sins was the high priest. They had this mediator. Then we shift into the New Testament and we see that Jesus is this mediator. He is this one that is in, in community with God that is speaking for man's, uh, on man's defense to God. So Jesus was this mediator. What he is talking about here is the fact that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, that we no longer need a mediator, that we have complete access to God, the creator of the universe, the creator of us. This truth was made so evident to me about a couple, uh, many years ago. Uh, many years ago, I was uh, preparing a message. I was an intern at a church, and I was preparing this message, um, and it was kind of around the Easter time, so we were looking at the Easter story. We were looking at the road to the cross, and one of the messages that I was given was specifically talking about the, um, the aspects of what happened around um, the crucifixion. So basically what I was talking about is the idea of why did the sky turn dark? What was the significance of an earthquake? And specifically as I was diving into what the, the, the things that were happening around Jesus' death the passage in Matthew chapter 27, 51 talks about the idea that this curtain in the temple was torn in two. That this curtain in the temple was torn in two pieces. And I thought that this was an interesting thing. And as I was studying scripture, obviously I believe that anything in scripture, anything in God's word, there's a reason behind it being there. So I was like, why is this, why is in the story of the crucifixion of Jesus, why is this significant of this big old curtain being torn. And what I did, I researched, and what I find was is in the time of the Old Testament, there was the high priest I had just talked about, who was that mediator. And there was a room within the tabernacle, uh, and then eventually the permanent temple in the Old Testament. And this room was known as the Holy of Holies. And this is where the presence of God was represented to be. Like, this is where God was. This is a holy place. 
The Ark and the Covenant was in there. And the only person that could go into this room was the high priest to, to give sacrifices for the sins of the people. And so this, this barrier, this fabric barrier, presided, gave us a physical picture of a separation between God and man. Now think about the crucifixion of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, that barrier was ripped. There was no longer a barrier between God and man. That is the truth of the aspect that when Jesus came and died on the sin, that he provided access to God. That should give us encouragement. That should give us motivation to be people who pray. That should give us motivation to know, like, I have access to God. I no longer need a person to stand in the way of me talking with God, to going to God when I'm struggling, to going to God with thankfulness, with going to God with uh, asking for forgiveness, asking for grace and for mercy. We no longer need that person. We are able to have a relationship with God. And furthermore, the fact that God loves us. That we are no longer enemies of him, but that he loves us. So we're able to commune with him. We're able to speak with him, enjoy him. Access is granted with the Father. The door was being opened by the Son, and that we have the Spirit who's dwelling inside of us to speak with us. I love this passage in Hebrews 10 that speaks to this very fact. It says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Because we have this access, we can have confidence in the world today. It's because we can go to God when we're in need gives us this confidence that we have everything that we need because we have God with us. The next thing that we see as Jesus is encouraging his disciples is not only do they have access, but now they have clarity. They have clarity. Verse 29. It says, his disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will scatter, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. So Jesus is having this interaction again with the disciples, and the disciples are like, okay, I get it. They're like, okay, we got it. We got, you know, we know what you're talking about now. But then Jesus is like, I don't think you do. Um, I guess we can test that out. He's like, do you now believe? Like, that, that weird question. This aspect of, like, he's saying, like, there's going to be a time when it's going to be clear. 
There's going to be a time when everything that I've done, everything that I'm about to do is going to be made clear to you. And this is all surrounding Jesus' purpose for him being on earth. This is purpose. And he's saying these things to say like, hey, like, you are going to make sure you're going to know why I'm here and what I'm doing and everything that is, but it's going to be a time. And this time was not this time. Like he's saying like this hour is not right now, but it will be when I die and rise again. He's talking about the hour after his resurrection, when they finally see that, okay, Jesus dying on the cross, there was a purpose. Him rising again, there was a purpose. Him about to ascend, there's a purpose behind this. And, you, and the fact is that they see that they don't completely understand this because we look into Scripture and what Jesus points out here and what Jesus tells them is that they will be betrayed, that he, they will betray Jesus. That very soon they're going to betray Jesus. They're going to be gone. As soon as Jesus comes, as soon as the Roman soldiers come, you have one is going to go and sell Jesus to the Roman guard. Then you have another one who's going to deny him three times with witnesses around. And then all the others, we don't even know. They probably went home, but they're not there. They didn't truly understand what was going on. But what's great is that we have this clarity now. We can see the end of the story. We can see what Jesus was doing now, but they were not, they were not clear in this moment. But they were going to have clarity after the resurrection of Jesus. You see, the clarity that we receive is about the clarity of who Jesus really is. You know, and clarity is a big thing. It's, it's very important to be clear on things, right? Like, it's hard to do something when you don't have clear instructions. I struggle with this a lot because oftentimes I need a lot of details, and my, I think my wife gets annoyed with me <laughs> because I feel like I need, like, more details than what she gives me, and so I ask these qualifying questions, and she's like, just get the chicken. I'm like, well, what kind of chicken? Anyway, any of all that. <laughs> but the fact of, like, there's an aspect of, like, clarity brings a lot more understanding. More so, clarity when it comes to instructions, right? How many of you have really struggled with putting together a piece of furniture when the instruction manual was, like, super confusing, right? Where they, it was just words and there wasn't even pictures, right? And you sit there and you have all these pieces of wood and you're like, okay, well, this is, it's a, a B, C, F, all, one, one, well, well what's, what's all this? And like the instructions are like, this does not make sense. What turns into putting a bookshelf together turns into torture, some fighting and some arguing and some, probably some yelling, and then probably tears, you know, depending on the project. But the, the importance of clear instructions is vital. You know what I've found? That the best, the best uh, instructions, the most clearest instructions, comes from Lego. 
I have this, so you go to the, buy, you go to the store and you buy uh, this kit and you're like, okay, I know that I'm gonna make this, it's gonna look like a dinosaur. And this one's cool because it's got like three different ones. I did buy this for my son, but I think I got more fun with this one. But, <laughs> you know, you look and you're like, okay, so you open it up and inside you have individual bags. And oftentimes these individual bags, uh, what's super nice with what Lego does is that it uh, separates certain aspects sometimes. It separates like this is the first part, this is the second part. Um, and so you can open a bag, do the first part, open this bag, do the second part. But then it comes with this awesome booklet. And this booklet tells you everything. It has even a picture on the corner. It tells you, like, this is what you're going to build. This is what it's going to look like. But then as you go, as you complete the steps, it shows you, okay, these are the two pieces you need. And it's like, it's colored. It's, it's in color, which is great, right? You're like, okay, I need the tan four-by-two piece and the green uh, half-black, half-ramp piece. I know those are going to go together. And if you follow this, you will eventually get what you have. You will eventually get the picture. And it's super clear. Like, you would have to purposely mess up the instructions, mess up the Legos to actually not get what you are building. Right? I wish that Ikea would take its note from Legos. <laughs> but that's the importance of something that's clear, right? Because when we have clarity, when we, have, we understand what we're building, when we understand the purpose that Jesus has, it gives us confidence in the process. When I can see bit by bit what is being in front of me because I have a clear picture, it brings me confidence to know that what I'm doing is going to result in what it says. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Clarity that we need comes from what Jesus accomplished. His work in living a life we could not live, in dying on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, and his glorious resurrection, all of those things on behalf provides the clarity we need to know who he is and what he's done. What this means for us is that we can trust God at his word, that we can trust the things of Jesus in his word because he's made it clear to us. And he's not hidden himself from us. True faith is believing what has been revealed. And it's clear and it's depending on Jesus alone. Now, while there is certainly, there are certainly passages in scripture that are not as clear as others, but overall the central doctrines and the realities of the gospel, the fact of Jesus coming to earth, dying as being the son of God, dying for our sins so that we can have a relationship with Jesus is absolutely clear. And we can be sure of that. And we believe because we have clarity. So not only is Jesus encouraging the disciples that, hey, you're gonna ha you have access, hey, you're gonna have clarity, but now you're gonna have peace. You're gonna have peace. 
And as this last verse in chapter 16, it sums up this chapter, but it also sums up the entire discourse that we've been looking at. It says this in 33. It says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. As Jesus is finishing out this farewell discourse, as Jesus is getting his disciples to see that his ministry on earth is about to come to end, he wants to give them one last encouragement. And it encapsulates in this idea is that Jesus' goal in teaching and all the things that he has been, he is going to be the peace for his disciples, and he is our peace today. But what does that peace actually look like? I think it's important for us to define what peace looks like because we can come to this and say, okay, peace, what it, that means that there's going to be no bad days. But that's not the truth. What peace truly is, it's not saying that we're going to have no bad days. It's not saying that we're not going to have troubles. It's not saying that we're, going to, that we're not going to encounter difficulties or, or things in, that are thrown in our life that, the fact is that life is not going to be easy. Life will never be easy. And even life as a Christian is never easy. And let me give you a warning. If you hear anyone say that life as a Christian is going to be easy, they are a liar. And they are against the truth. Because Jesus clearly says that they will have, that there will be trouble. Because he even knows earlier on in John, he says that if Jesus even knows that the world hates him and they're also going to hate those who follow him. So we are going to have tribulation. As NIV, the NIV uh, says, is that we're going to have troubles. That means our life, our life is going to be complicated. It's going to be corrupted by sin because we are sinful people, but then also because people are sinful people. We're going to have trouble in this world. We're going to experience trouble every turn along the way. But he said that we can have peace amidst the trouble. And why? He has overcome the world. That phrase, he has overcome the world, that no matter the troubles, no matter the things that come in life, no matter the tribulations, no matter the persecution that we could face for being a follower of Jesus, that he ultimately has victory. And this truth is not something that we look, is not something that we have to look to the future for. He has currently overcome the world now. He overcame the world back then. He currently is, has overcome the world. And that is why Jesus calls them to take heart. In the Coleman's Christian Standard Bible, I like that it says, be courageous. We can be courageous because Jesus has overcome the world. He is victorious. 
And we as believers can take heart because he's overcome those. And we can trust in that same victory that Jesus has overcome. And what amazing news that we have in Christ that we're not under the pressure to bring about our own victory. I know a lot of times we want to be the one who is, who is bringing our own victory in our life, but Christ has already done it. We don't have to believe that we are failures because we struggle. We don't have to feel like we're failures because we uh, are not following him perfectly. And that when we face trials, we, we struggle with trusting him. But know that we are loved by God and we have victory in him. An author named Tim Keller said this specifically about the gospel, and I love this. He says this, We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Think about that truth. We can live with peace and we have peace with God. We can trust him when we follow Jesus through our own afflictions and that he loves us, he's near to us, and he's working all things together for our good. And for his glory. We can look forward to the day that Christ returns and that we're made new and right, that all the troubles in the world will be no more, and that he is going to make all things new. We will not be lost or forgotten if we're in Christ. And he ultimately gives us this peace. This peace that surpasses all understanding. And this peace that surpasses all understanding is only found in the person of Jesus. So you can fully rest in him. You can fully have peace in him. So to answer that question that we were talking about earlier is, is the fact that you have everything you need. You have everything you need. It's because Jesus' victory provides us with everything we need to follow him. The question that you must ask yourself, the question that you need to come away with from hearing this passage and hearing this encouragement that Jesus is giving his disciples is this. What are you placing your trust in? What are you placing your trust in? Are you trying to find joy and peace in other things? Are you looking to the things of this world, the possessions, the other people, the the accolades, whatever it is that you're placing your trust in, are you looking to those to give you ultimate joy and peace? Those things are never going to do that because they're not eternal. They cannot truly bring you peace 
It's only through victory in Jesus. It's only through the victory in Jesus on the cross that we have access to God, that we have clarity through his word, and that we have peace. We can walk in this courage. We can walk in faith. We can walk in peace and grace in this life by following Jesus because he has given us everything that we need. 2 Peter 1.3 says this, All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us is his own glory and excellence. Will you trust him? Will you follow him? Because he's given you everything that you need to be victorious in this life. He's given you everything you need to live in a world that is plagued by sin, that is plagued by troubles. The question is, are you following him? Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your words. God, we thank you as you are, as, as your son was giving encouragement to the disciples as he, as he was about to head to the cross. God, I, I ask that you help us to be encouraged from this word today. God, we pray that you help us to understand that it is only through you that we have access to you. It is only through him that we have clarity of who you are and your love for us. And it is only through you that we can have peace in the midst of our trouble. And God, I pray that you help us to trust in you and you alone. God, I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.